Welcome to Highly Volatile, an unfiltered podcast for real-life professional traders, investors, and top executives. To be the best, you need your thoughts and perspectives challenged by the best. This podcast series features some of the most thought-provoking and disruptive minds in both business and investing. My name is Kevin Van Trump, and I'm joined each podcast by my good friend, legendary trader and angel investor, Andy Daniels. Together, we attempt to challenge the conventional and gain a better understanding of the disruptor. We search high and low for wealth hacks and exciting new investment opportunities. But at the same time, try to uncover hidden pitfalls or unforeseen changes coming our direction that might rock our worlds. We hope you're challenged by our unfiltered thoughts and conversations and enjoy our highly volatile podcast. And please remember, there's risk in trading futures and options. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources, foundations for you to buy or sell any commodity, any stock or any type of other investment. So make sure you use the podcast as an educational tool to broaden your horizons and maybe add a bit more perspective. Hi, folks. This is Kevin Van Trump with another edition of our Highly Volatile. Today I have uh, my son Jordan on the line. So we were going to do a little Thanksgiving special here, just kind of let everyone know where we're at uh, with our positions, maybe where we've, we've shifted a few investments around the last couple months, uh, both Jordan and I, and uh, done a few things. So we're going to talk about Bitcoin. We're going to talk about real estate. We're going to talk about soybeans, corn, wheat, uh, the usual, where we see some things heading and, uh, you know, kick things off with that. So, Jordan, what are you hearing? Jordan's been at the office most of the time. Michelle and I have been hunkered down out by the lake house and uh, are here most the entire time, I shouldn't say uh, some of the time. So we've been out here the whole time. Jordan's kind of, he's flown, traveled around. Uh, my daughter just got back in. She was down in Texas for a little bit and She's been traveling around as well, so knock on wood, everyone is healthy, uh, doing well. Kids think they had had it early, uh, you know, like Kennedy was in Italy and in New York, Jordan was in New York and in Canada and Phoenix, so, you know, I I, I suspect they were both uh, probably had it. They were sick and down for a little bit, but uh, recovered well. Michelle and I, no signs as of yet, so uh, we're hanging in there, but... I, I will say this, um, and Jordan, you're probably hearing the same. We have had more farmers and more of our farming friends uh, these last few weeks, you know, kind of really start to see it blow up out in their areas. Nothing you guys haven't heard uh, yourselves. So our schools are actually still open. Our high school's playing for the uh, state championship here in Missouri, the big class. And I, <laughs> I know we all kind of laugh. I mean, miraculously, our football team has had no cases, I don't think. Maybe that one, a couple of JV players or something, but – uh, we, we've stayed in the game, so we'll see what happens. They play this Saturday, and, uh, you know, like I said, it, it's been sad for a lot of the kids in some of these high school sports and college sports and uh, things, but it looks like the communities are, are trying their best to uh, to move forward. So what are you hearing, Jordan, from people calling in the office? I guess calling in-wise, um, soybeans, I guess, is the hot topic right now, and uh been racing higher i guess the big question is how high can it go you think <laughs> i'm sure you feel that question <laughs> that, i, I feel it a lot and i'm like well it, it can go pretty high but i mean i think realistically they're wanting to know what you're thinking your thoughts on 
Well, yeah, I, you know, and I've talked to a lot of our friends, and I got a lot of buddies trading. Uh, you know, a lot. I'll tell you, be honest, a lot of my buddies are really on the sideline right now in the bean market. Uh, you know, we've been in, we've been out, we've been in, we've been out, and it's kind of got us a little bit uh, perplexed up here. I, you know, it's, it's the same thing I wrote how months ago when we first. We're taking a couple of bucks out of the bean market. I took a couple of bucks out. Uh, I blew out at about 11.60 right after – I didn't blow completely. I blew out about three-quarters of all of our positions right after that USDA report. My goal early, early on, how months ago, was I was going to try and hold into the end of the year a long position that we had uh, started. And I, I caught a little help from guys saying, well, I dipped a toe in the water. Well, I, that's just how I like to do it. When we're trading – at the lows or near bottoms. I hate trying to pick bottoms and just load up. I am not good at it. So I, what I do is I put in a small position. If we break, I'll add to it and continue to add to it. Uh, or if we start to break out and, and see breakouts on the charts, I will add into that momentum to it as well to build a larger position. Uh, now, you know, if we chop around in a range, I usually don't do that well um, because I'll be adding and then we'll break back and then I'll be adding and we'll break back. Uh, but that's not my theory on trading. My theory is you catch three or four of the big, big movers uh, in any given year. You'll have, you know, a lot of losers. You try to keep the losers at a scratch at best, you know, or somewhere around uh, small losses. Mentally, that's a real bitch. People don't like to play that game uh, because, you know, mentally you're wrong seven out of ten times. And, you know, if you're batting sub 200, uh, it gets in people's domes. So they don't like to play that game. People like to be right more than they are wrong. So majority of traders, uh, you know, hold on to their losers way too long and cut their winners short. And I've told you and told your sister and, uh, the rest of the family. I mean, the whole key is you have to let your winners run, and you got to cut your losers. It's it's how you manage the losers. Is what it all comes down to. I mean, shit. You know, any dummy can manage uh, the winners. It's how you manage the losers. Even when you're playing poker or when you're playing anything. So, you know, we 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 try to have these home run trades, uh, three or four, uh, if we can a year. You're blessed if you get something like that. Sometimes you get none. Uh, but that's what we shoot for, and I think that's what you've seen with our Bitcoin holdings, Jordan, and our Tesla holdings, and our Facebook, and you know, and that and those have been what have carried us uh, as a family for our family uh, um, investments and money the, the the last few years. So you know, and that's what it is. So here we are in soybeans. You know, we were hoping maybe all the stars would align when we were trading sub nine bucks. Uh, you know, hey, we're getting down here to low level. If, 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 if weather, if China, if this, if that. And, and so you start to build a position. We build the position, and, and all the stars align, and everything comes to fruition. I mean, call it luck. I mean, it is part luck. It, it's, you know, the, the, the horse has got to come in, uh, and they got to come in and, uh, like, betting on a trifecta or superfecta. they got to come in in the order that uh, you need them to come in. So that plays out. I get the gift that I was hoping for from the USDA. On I wasn't sure they would ever, uh, at least in this year, 2020, lower uh, bean ending stocks sub 200 million. 
And the question is this, and this is the tough one that I, I – it is a tough. I have this conversation with a lot of people. They're not going to show a negative carry. I, don't, I know there's some traders out there right now, the pencil and the bean market at a negative carry. Okay, awesome. But they're not going to show a negative carry. What has to happen in a free market, at least it's my opinion they're not going to show a negative carry, the market prices have to rally high enough that it rations demand. Now, when you start playing this game, that's what I'm saying. We, we had reasons to be long, uh, and as those wild cards started to be flipped over, we check our list, we check our list, we check our list. Well, now I'm up in here to a level where I don't have that many more things to check off. Now I'm just playing a guessing game. Well, I don't like that. So I don't like playing guessing games as well. And – you know, could this thing go to 13, 14, 15? Hell, I, sure it could. I, I'm no one to say it couldn't. But I'm also I'm not wanting to put up a whole lot of real money to see. Uh, and, and that's where I'm at. I don't know. When you get to these levels, and the market's job at this point is to ration demand, uh, domestic and globally, I, I, you don't know. I mean, I'm hearing that the Chinese ports, you know, they're fairly flush with beans. Their crush margins have gotten hammered as of late. And, hell, I, you know, are they going to wash some sales? Are they going to cancel some sales here in the U.S. and roll them? Are they going to roll them for it? I don't know. I, I, I'm not I, – I don't, I don't know that for a fact, but I know this. I don't want to be holding a bunch of long positions or a bunch of unpriced or unhedged beans if that card gets flipped over and then South American weather improves. So that's all I, that's, you know, the, and every person trades different. I know some people who, uh, you know, wait for a bull market to be really, really confirmed uh, and they enter late and stay late. And heck, I'm telling you, I've seen them make fortunes. Uh, I like to intend to be, I don't say I necessarily like it because it can be painful, I tend to show up a little earlier to the party and leave a little earlier. Now, you you and Kennedy and, and you guys give mom and I shit when we do that going to the bars or going out with you guys. We we tend to leave before all the hell breaks loose. Uh, you know, we, we go home a little early. Now, when we were younger, we'd stay late. So, like I said, I think it's everyone's uh, personality, psychology, you know, what how – how open are you to just massive risk or do you want more risk? Do you need more risk uh, to be entertained? You know, so here we sit close to 12 bucks. Uh, you know, that to me was probably my wildest thought is we would get to $12. You asked me six months ago, could we go from nine bucks to 12 bucks? I just said, man, boy, you are going to have to have every star line and every horse come in the right order. And to this point we have now, you know, you you keep asking me when when to get back in yourself. You've been in, you've been out, and here we are. And I just said, you know, be patient, <laughs> be patient, young grasshopper. My opinion is, but I'm 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 sitting here on the sideline kicking myself as well. Maybe blew out of those positions at eleven sixty, like I said. And now I'm just sitting here with uh, a quarter of that on, and I'm not sure what to do. Um, and I told you, I, I've. Could the market pull back to 11 to 11.20 area? Why not? Uh, could we be at uh, 13 bucks in two weeks? Why not? Uh, you know, like I said, 
you're really just sloshing a ton of money around right up here. And I, I think it all is going to hinge on, obviously, South American weather, which they're saying is going to be dry for the next 10 days. But if the forecast changes, all of a sudden, here we go. And if you see global buying or global buyers are a little spooked here and need coverage, they're going to step in underneath this thing and support it every break. We, you know, we broke this morning down to, you know, we broke down to 11.74, and hell, we rallied back a dime 12 cents after the break. Seems like every break's being bought. Now, how long does that continue? How long do you have every break being bought? Don't know that answer either. Um, like I said, you know, it, it, the, the end. The end game is it's always the most bullish at the top. It's always the most bearish at the bottom. Um, you know, w- when you suck every bull into this thing, it's over. Uh, I mean, you'll have no more money flow that can push it, push it higher, and uh, and there will be, and we'll we'll start to tumble. And that and that's all I'm trying to do. So, you know, my goal on our beans, I said this months ago. This will be the first year in I don't know, eleven years, maybe twelve years that we will be sold out of beans. My goal is to be sold out of beans before year end. Um, you know, and I think I had a couple guys talking to me, you know, I, we may need to readjust and talk to uh, talk to our accountants some more too with the Biden takes the White House and how we play that forward, whether I need to make the sales on the 31st or we need to make them and hold them to the first. Same with some of the hedges that some people may have. If you got some losing hedges in place, I'm not sure if you better hold those, like say if you got July hedges that are in place and you got losers. I, mean, I don't know if we're better off to hold those through to the 1st uh, of Jan to take that hit next year or you got bigger gains this year that you need to take. I don't know. There's just a lot of moving pieces right there. You ought to talk to your accountants about uh, At least that's I've got to call into ours to figure all that out. I, I, I'm not really certain, so – it feels like taxes aren't going to go uh, cheaper for anyone. So I, I I feel like you can, you know, maybe think about that a little bit. So I'm going to try and get sold out of these beans. Uh, I got 20% left to price. We have a floor under everything uh, as far as beans and corn in this year's crop. Um, and I'm going to hold the corn. I, I'm really, I, I can just jump right into corn real quick, Jordan. I know some guys have called in and it'll be short. I'm, I'm promise I won't go this long, but, um, you know, my thoughts were I'm really surprised we've seen corn run this hard this fast. Obviously, beans have helped pull it higher. I do believe there's a longer-term corn story being demand-driven uh, out of China. I think China's going to continue to be a buyer of corn. I think South America, uh, Brazil's going to use a lot more domestic corn. They're having some issues uh, with sugar right now, uh, production, that maybe they're going to need to hold back more corn for ethanol. Uh, that's one thing. You may have issues with the bean crop that since it was delayed in planting you could see it run out longer if it all of a sudden gets really wet and they have problems getting the the beans out of the field maybe that impacts second crop uh, corn in brazil which would be a big winner um i was hoping we'd be i thought maybe we could get to this you know four 450 range in july by Feb, you know, Jan, Feb, hell, if it keeps going at this pace, we'll be here in two weeks. So my thoughts were, I thought about, uh, what do we got, 35 40% left the price of corn. I wanted to sell out of the beans early, hold the corn. I thought there could be a corn story a little later. And 
move, start moving that corn, we get July up between 450, 460 ranges and 460. My opinion, you, you look back in history. I mean, you get above 470. Well, you need you really need a lot of horses to come in in the right order again. You know, you have to have a South American weather story. You have to have global demand improving. Uh, you have to have the funds wanting to be long commodities. Those those are all in the cards right now. You have to have an inflationary type. All everything kind of maybe in the cards, but then you also need a U.S. weather story on top, which which <laughs> could be developing. I, I'm telling you, I, I don't. Some of these drought maps. Uh, from what I'm talking to and the people I'm talking to, some of the drought maps aren't showing, in my opinion, how dry it really is in some places, Illinois, Iowa. Because there, there's some places that are dry, uh, obviously through the plains uh, and in the southern plains. So, you know, they're, they're, the horses are on the track, and uh, they're, they're kind of in the right order here without question. I, I just don't know if they stay in that order as they cross the finish line for each individual person on where they need to price their corn or their beans. So that, that's what I'm saying. That's really what you're trying to determine. You know, you got to – I always start with time. What the hell is my time frame? When do I have to have this moved? How much do I have to have moved? And, and then I start to back into that. You know, Jordan used to ask when he was younger, when we first started, like, what's your price target? What's your, I don't really have price targets. My targets are more time-oriented and time-related. And with these times, that allows me then to start to maneuver and sector off the amount I need to sell, which is second important. And then with it, once I have that determined, then I start to forecast what can my price do during that time frame with this many bushels at risk or to be sold. So remember, I think that's one of the biggest Achilles heels of the farm. They never really factor time in time. Well, hell, you know, when you price, we were talking about options. When you price an option, I mean, there's two parts of the equation. Time is 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 extremely important. I mean, price can be what it is, but if you're going to, you know, four years out or, or or four days out, that's going to make all the difference in the world on uh, on the actual uh, price you have to pay for that option. So, all I'm saying is, I think first and foremost in any market, I mean, time has to be of most importance. And the problem is. You know, every advisor or all these advisors are in all these other places. They, they all, it's all cookie-cutter programs uh, that it's supposed to be, it, we're making a sale. Even mine, I tell people, I, you're just being, people should just be voyeuristic of what I'm doing. That doesn't mean that's what you should do. They have to understand it. I mean, that, your time frame could be way different. Your, your, your storage could be way different. So when you hear someone say, hey, we're selling 10% or that doesn't necessarily mean that means that doesn't mean shit to me. I mean, because if I need cash flow for different reasons at different times, well, hell, you, you got to readjust. You got to do things differently. I mean, you got three daughters being married, uh, you know, all in the same year. Well, shit, you're probably not making your time frame is going to be a lot different than my time frame. I would suspect. Uh, so I'm just saying, time comes first for me. Then the number of bushels I need to move during that time period, and then I start to forecast the order the horses can come in, and then I place the bet. Uh, you know, so that, that's where we're at, and I, I hope that clears that up for most folks. I'm, I'm sure it provides a little explanation. So I don't, you know, for folks that want to take the risk or they got bushels left and they're just wanting to shoot, shoot dice, uh, you know, hell, you can go out there now. I, I just looked in July. I was telling Jordan we were talking about some of our bushels. You can buy like an $11 put in July beans 
and sell a $13 call, and I think you collect a nickel on the thing. Um, you know, if you plan on blowing out 13 anyway, what the hell? And it gives you a floor underneath. So there's a million different ways you could build a floor, uh, you know, and it wouldn't cost you much. There's, there's tons of ways. I've heard some great strategies from all kinds of different, you know, brokerage firms, uh, clearing firms, commercials that are offering some really unique uh, strategies and packages, uh, you know, everyone from CGB to, to uh, ADM, Bungies, and, and uh, Cargills. I, I've heard a lot of interesting uh, programs that are being developed that, that allow guys to mitigate that risk. So, you know, just think about those things as we move forward and just, just understand when you get up here into this rationing phase for beans anyway, uh, it gets a little iffy. And now let's forecast forward. We're being a little hesitant now. I want to be hesitant to price much new crop. I just think you're going to have to bid up acres. A lot of people are saying we're going to need 7 million more bean acres. Well, hell, if you need 7 million more bean acres, you know, they came out early and saying we're going to lose a million corn acres. Well, I question that. If you get this balance sheet sub 1.5 billion and South America has any blip of problem with second crop corn, uh, you're going to have to bid up for corn acres too. And, that leads me to believe that back end could move. We were long. I was long front end and back end beans uh, early. So we were long the Nove, then the Jan, and then I was also long the Nove 21 uh, beans. And that, and that proved that, that, was, that was good. Like I said, now I'm actually out flat completely on the back end and only have about a quarter left on the front end of what we did have. So I think there's room for the back end to work higher. Could we correct first and then work higher? Certainly. Uh, but I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient with uh, next year's uh, sales here. So that just you know, let everyone know where we're at. What else are you hearing? I think you covered most all of it. You uh, went on a tear there for us. Um, I think kind of another question some people had is what's – What's the next big news that's going to come out that you're seeing that's really going to affect price? Last last couple of weeks we saw the report really affect price. We're waiting for the next report. We're waiting for uh, South American weather. We're waiting for China news on yeah, buying. I mean, yeah, you pretty much. I mean, obviously any of that stuff can happen tonight or within the next hour, but what do we think is going right. to come first, I guess? Yeah, you know, it seems like nearby everybody's just watching South American weather. That's in everyone's, you know, on everyone's radar. I personally, you know, I, I'm obviously honest with you, I'm not really a very good weather trader. I never have been. I don't know whether I buy into the hype too much because I like a good story, so I get overly hyped up, or I, I don't know. I'm just notoriously not a real great weather trader, so. When I get the weather tailwinds that push us higher like this, you know, I feel like we're in a demand-driven market. And all of a sudden you got some extra hot sauce thrown on with this weather story. So, you know, I think the demand's going to keep the, the, keep the, the slide somewhat limited. But when you're in a weather market, it's just so hard to time the, you know, the, the ups and then the downs. And I've, I've never been great at it. I've had some friends that, that were just unbelievable at it and uh, did really well. And I don't think it had anything to do with the weather forecasters or anything else. I just think they they had an intuitive, uh, I guess, nature about themselves that, that allowed them to catch some of those big weather runs. 
and like I said, this this could be the start of a huge weather run. I don't know. I just know for me personally, I'm not that good at the dismount uh, <laughs> on the weather. And I always laugh at that. I say, you know, people used to give me shit uh, when I first started at the Board of Trade. And they'd say, hey, you know, there's no, you don't gain style points in this uh, business. So then I've learned that they're right. And I am, I've learned, just like you with baseball or sports, I mean, you know what pitches you can hit and what pitches you can't. And when you get a pitch you can hit, you swing at it and uh, hopefully hit it out of the park. And for me, I'm just not going to sit there and battle uh, a weather market in the emotional, psychological ride uh, of getting overextended in. So, you know, that's why I peeled back and tapered back once it became a full-blown weather market. That's why I feel like we're in. I mean, everyone's looking at South American weather, and all of a sudden China could come around with a left hook uh, – you know, or, or, or shot to the side of the head here with, with some cancellations or simply just rolling some, some orders forward. So, I, you know, that's why I'm saying you hit it on the head. It's, it's weather first, then Chinese demand and global demand. Uh, you got the macros in play a little bit. I think the funds are more interested in commodities now than they have been in a long time, which I believe sets a bullish undertone. Uh, you have this massive uh, wave of global debt, not just American U.S. debt. It's global debt. And uh, yeah, most of the smart players believe that we're going to probably have to inflate our way out of it a little bit. You've heard the Fed say they're going to let inflation run hot, uh, get over 2%, 3%. That probably lets, uh, you know, some of the funds, you're going to see energy. You got crude back to 45 bucks. You got precious metals and uh, industrial metals on the move a little bit. You got some things playing out. You Maybe that uh, gives uh, the the – to manage head fund portfolios, and it tilts the algos and the quants a little bit uh, more bullish commodities, and especially the egg space. So, you know, I like that. I like the environment we're in for the bulls, and I think it's fine. Uh, but you hit the order. End of year USDA report, I don't know. I suspect the crop, my opinion is, crop gets a little bit smaller. Demand gets a little bit bigger. Balance sheets tighten a little bit more, which is another bullish uh, tailwind. So. <clears throat> that's really the main three we see anyway. It's always the ones you don't see, though, that, uh, <laughs> that jump up and bite you. So, yeah, the ones we see, you hit it on the head there. So. What about uh, wheat? Any crazy stories you're hearing in wheat, or are they kind of just following uh, corn and beans? Yeah, it's, you know, that's what we've been saying. I think that's the that's a dummy thing to report, and I think just because I don't know what else to report or say, I've been saying the same shit everyone else is saying and that's just all wheat's following corn and beans and now some of my friends that are real i mean they've been professional wheat traders their whole life i mean they they like come on man come up with something more original than that <laughs> i'm telling you but i can't i mean i just you know hell it's all about u.s weather and russian weather at the moment australia's gonna you know they're harvesting a big crop and it's coming in gonna compete uh u.s exports in my opinion i was long wheat early and and took profits way too early in wheat um, and kind of kicked myself. But but I took that money from wheat, and that's when, you know, we made the bets on corn and beans. So I felt I had plenty of exposure to be long corn and beans, and I just thought wheat was uh, going to, you know, kind of just be pulled along for the ride. But, hell, wheat at times has shown some leadership. Well, yeah, I think know? we're negative today on corn and beans and up 10 on wheat. On March no, 21, yeah, we anyways. Look at, yeah, I I believe it, and then, yeah, that's what uh, you know. Some of my friends, like I said, some of the old guys that used to just be heavy wheat bowls. I mean, they 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 believe there's really a wheat story brewing. You know, 
all the bears want to say, well, the USDA is showing a, you know, a record supply, which is true, a uh, global balance sheet. But, hell, most of that's in China, uh, India, or places that probably aren't going to release a whole lot of weed into the uh, global export space. So you start to take that out of the equation. Take out the countries that have wheat stored that aren't going to make it available to exports, and the balance sheet looks a lot more interesting, especially if you see the Black Sea region and Europe, which have become the low-cost providers to the world, if they run into production hiccups or weather problems, um, you know, that puts U.S. supply uh, is going to be the main supplier, and that makes the game a whole lot more interesting. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I can see weather getting – I can excuse me, I can see wheat catching a story – the problem is I don't think the story comes until we break out of dorm or get closer to breaking out of dormancy for Russia uh, and U.S. wheat, and that's probably you know let's let's I'd probably like to readdress the wheat market in Jan Feb, uh, and then just see where the hell we're at. So I don't think you know unless corn and beans get hammered, I don't think wheat's going to fall out of bed or anything here. I just think it's going to have a hard time catching the story. But we move you know sixty ninety days out. I, I thought China was going to maybe be a bigger buyer of wheat. They really haven't stepped in here. Um, in fact, we've heard in the last week or so that some of their auctions, some of the wheat buyers have backed off in China that were bidding up and buying their domestic wheat. So, you know, I was hoping that wheat would pop and get that spring wheat up to six bucks and allow, allow guys to dump some of that spring wheat. Uh, but, we're you know, we're doing well. Uh, we've made some early sales, real early sales. I made that sale out into 2022 when July popped above July 22 contract popped above six bucks. So I'm happy with our position. I just, I really just want to shut the, the screen off for a while on, uh, on my position. We just, and just see where we go. And I don't have any spec position. I keep saying I'm going to buy a break and hell a break never happens. So I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sticking with my corn and bean positions for the time. I, I don't really have anything going in wheat. I'm not going to buy a breakout to the upside in wheat. And I don't think the market's going to break far enough uh, to the downside for us to get long. So, you know, I'm probably sitting here on the side. That's about all I got on my end, question-wise. Yeah, cool. Let's talk, uh, what do we want to talk? Hell, turkeys, uh, Bitcoin, Tesla, getting over here into your neck. Yeah, Bitcoin's been ripping. Bitcoin has been ripping. Um, yeah, I read Jordan. What did we get to today? Um, we were up to nineteen, almost nineteen five today, and the high on it's just short of uh, all time high is nineteen nine hundred. Yeah, I, <clears throat> Jordan started calling me. Oh hell, it's, when we broke two years ago, Jordan was giving me. Yeah, I'd stayed in my original Bitcoin position, still have them, still have Bitcoin Cash off the split, the fork, all that jazz. Uh, you know, I I got lucky in my opinion. I <laughs> we were early in, not super early in like some people, but we were fairly early. I wrote it up, and I remember telling Jordan I went to work out at the gym here locally, and we're in a small rural area. I was up there, and this is this was when we peaked last time, and I was working out, and I'm not shitting you. I had seven, eight guys, and they don't know what I do. They have no idea what I do. They don't, they don't know anything. They think I'm some dummy from out in the woods out here or something. Um, but I heard seven of them. And I think one guy worked at an automotive place. You know, one of them worked at the bank. A couple, you know, like just a couple blue-collar guys. I mean, they were self-proclaimed uh, Bitcoin geniuses. 
And I said nothing. I'm just listening to the conversation. <laughs> Them not knowing that I own, you know, and trade cryptos pretty heavily at the time. And they were telling me how high it was going to go, and they all own it, and this and that. And it's just blah, blah, blah. I get over to my wife after uh, she gets off the uh, treadmill. I said, we got to get the hell out of here. I got to get to a computer. <laughs> She's like, what are you talking about? And I said, no, I'm serious. I got to get the hell out of here and get to a computer somewhere quick. I got to sell this Bitcoin off. And she's like, well, why? And I said, we're in the middle of the Midwest, out in the middle of nowhere. And I got a bunch of knuckleheads up here telling me that, <laughs> acting like self-proclaimed Bitcoin geniuses, I said, I am telling you this is the high. I've got to get somewhere and sell this shit off. I probably wasn't three days later. Remember, Jordan, when I told you? <laughs> I said, yeah, we got crashed. to be done. Crash. I remember sitting in a bar. Listen, I'll go back as far as this with you. I remember sitting in a bar with Andy Daniels in Chicago. We were at a top producer seminar conference. We were sitting in a bar, and there were several farmers that had come up to us, and we were all talking. And I'm not shitting you. Three or four of them said to us they were needing to make their runways longer out where they were at because they were all buying new planes. And I remember Andy, he's sitting there with drinking his hand. He looked over at me, and he's like, are you hearing the same stories I'm hearing? I said, yeah. And he's like, pops in. He's like, sell the shit out of this market, right? Just top is in, I'm telling you. And I said, what are you talking about? And he's like, telling you, when people get like this and everyone thinks they're smarter than the market and everyone's making these big plans with all this money they're going to make moving forward, he's like, that's it. That's the top. And and I said, are you kidding? He said, no, think back to when we were in the, you know, when we were in the dot-com crash, uh, you know, him and I, we worked together then too. I mean, we were hearing everybody. I had every taxi cab driver pick me up, board trade, Every guy, when we went out to restaurants and everything else, telling me, you know, self-proclaimed stock market geniuses again, telling me to buy this, buy Yahoo, buy AO, do this, do that. Sure, shit. I mean, it wasn't a few months later. Here we came tumbling down. So, <clears throat> you know, I, <clears throat> I'm telling you, I, I, that was lucky. And then Jordan started harping on me when we broke. He's like, we need to buy some Bitcoin. He had gotten out of college and started trading more. You know, so he opens his Bitcoin, he opens his Coinbase account and he started buying Bitcoin. We were held much cheaper at that point. And uh, I bought a little bit more than I Yeah, we've originally. been getting in since about 7,500, 10 grand. Yeah. And well, then, then the other night, well, it was a couple of weeks ago, he kind of gave me shit. And uh, when you get really, you know, add some more, you know, so I went a little more aggressive and bought a good, a pretty big chunk at uh, about 15,000. Now I'm just going to ride it up. Uh, and then I got out of some of that, what, yesterday, the day before or something? Yeah, we, it was, it was uh, trading at like uh, 18.9, and we, we both pulled back about uh, a third of our position. We're, we're just. Yeah, so I'm still, I'm still holding probably double what my original position was. Um, I just told Jordan, I was listening to a couple of really good chart guys that I know, and I'm not a big chart. You know, I used to be. I used to trade all technical and shit. That, that, that was a learning experience several times. But it is interesting if you look at Bitcoin right where we're at right now. Very rarely will you see a market, and I will agree with this. If you look at a chart of Bitcoin, we're getting back up to where you form a double top. And all that means is you're going to test the previous highs up here, and we're right there. And 
what happens a lot of times is the market tests those highs, and there's a shitload of orders there to sell, and people will be selling to take profit. And it, it, it's tough for a market. You, you rarely see a market just go back, test a previous high like that, a major high, all-time high, and just blow right through it and just keep on trucking. We, what you generally see is what I try to do. You generally see it go up there, make a double top, and all the frigging technicians and the bears come out of the woodwork. Oh shit, we've made a double top. And the market breaks and falls, and the, some of the weaker bulls freak out and take their chips off. And here we go, and we tumble down, and then the market finds some stability, and then it goes back, and it'll try this shit again. And here we go again. Oh my god, we made a triple top, and we may fall in some week, and then it'll go, and I'm telling you, it'll knock on the door two, three times, and then it'll bust through, and then boom, it takes off, and it goes and goes and goes. And Well, it's know, similar to we, where we were at in, uh, back in 17. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, same type of when it When it, it kind of finally hit the top at that 2,500 and then tapered back a little bit, and then we made a truck up to five grand, and tapered back a little and then after that five grand right there within those three months we were at 19,000 yeah no I agree with you I mean I'm just writing this for tomorrow I mean here's a good example you know we, we the Dow the Dow hits 30,000 today uh in the cash and uh you know we've basically gone from 20,000 to 30,000 in the last four years it sounds like a lot of shit it ain't really that much. I mean, it's basically 10 percent you know you had 10 percent gains a year and blah 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 I mean, it's, it is what it is but but here's what's impressive you went from 18,000, you hit 18,000 on that March break, and now you're 30,000 in eight months. Now, boom, there's some explosion. So, you know, I, I'm with Jordan. I, you know, we just wanted to peel some off because if the market, it, here's our play. If the market does this double top, triple top, and it pulls back, it doesn't, I mean, we're just going to buy the bigger breaks, add to it, we rally back up here, we may shed some off. And then we're just going to watch it. And if the thing does break out to the upside, I'm buying it. I mean, if it breaks through the old highs and just takes off running, I'm going to jump on for a minute and just take my chances. And we'll see where we end up. But, but notoriously, that's what will happen is it, it'll take off running away, and then you have what happens at that point. Nobody wants to be short. It was stolen money, but not a lot of people have the balls to get in, and they're hesitant. And when they hesitate, the market just starts taking off, taking off running away from you and you have people chasing it at that point and that chasing it is what propels you you know to a really a really uh high market uh multiple so you know that that's kind of how where you're going to play it I, and uh, yeah, one question i had for you one question i had for you on that was how how volatile was it back in 2017 i mean were you making legs legs higher every day or was it chopped around a lot it's interesting to bring that up because here's what I was telling, I was even telling Michelle, I said, that night we were just sitting around, her and I shooting shit, and I said, Bitcoin's different this time around. It's way different this time around, and it's, it's, it's different in a good way in my opinion because the last time around we made, these, we made that high, and it was not on institutional money. It was on straight spec money. Remember I told you there were all these knuckleheads at the gym, and everyone mm-hmm. in our office, all the kids owned it, every and, – and, I asked you before I bought in again and loaded up again at 15 grand in it. I said to you, Jordan, are all your friends buying this Bitcoin? And you said, Dad, nobody's talking about it. Correct? And that was nowhere. It's no. It's still nowhere right now. I mean, you're seeing it creep up on Twitter a little bit. 
Yeah. No, what my friends aren't people? talking about it. TV's not really talking about it. I see some stuff on Twitter here and there the last couple of weeks. Maybe this this right. at the big, last end of last your week. Friends, I'm seeing your friends. Are all no, they think they're stock gurus. Yeah, they're stock gurus now. Yeah, it hasn't even worked. They think That's Bitcoin. They think Bitcoin's dead. Yeah, they've all blown out and they're pissed. They're licking their wounds, and and a lot of them are not in. And so, mm-hmm. I believe you've got institutional money now that has driven it, and we're seeing that with the people I've told you who've been bigger buyers, some people I know on Wall Street. Uh, and so, to me, that means we're in more solid hands on the brakes. So when Jordan just asked me how volatile it was, oh, shit, it was volatile as hell because it was in the hands of knuckleheads uh, and people flip-flopping and just in and out and in and out and you know, shitting their pants on the brakes and who knows. And then, you know, so you had a lot of craziness. I, I think we're in more solid hands here. So when we break, you know, I bet the break's not as, I bet the break's not as big uh, if, if I'm, my overall thinking is correct. Like I told you. I'm not sure the damn thing couldn't eventually go to zero. I don't know. It feels like to me like the wildest crap shoot ever. But I put this money out it was risk money, and then and, and we've turned it into something, and here we are. So now I'm trading. And, uh, but it goes hand in hand with, Jordan, our overall thought and what you were telling me, your thought on where we're going, paperless. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a paperless economy, or I should say a cashless economy. Uh, yeah, would, definitely would, cashless for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, it kind of started with the uh, Apple Pay, just, and that's, I mean, Apple Pay is just anywhere and everywhere now. You just upload your card on your Apple phone, and no one even carries around a wallet anymore. They just tap their phone on the uh, card reader, and pays right there. Yeah, didn't you say? I mean, you don't have to have an Apple card either for it either. But what'd you say? Oh, you don't. You don't. No, you can upload any card on there just about anymore. No. Mastercards. Oh, um, really? Apple so Pay are easier. You guys had me sign up for that Apple card last Christmas. And I've used it a yeah. few times, but you now at like Whole Foods and all these urban areas, didn't you say most of the people in line are just getting their phone and paying? Yeah, even in some of these bigger cities. I mean, they've gone to straight, that's how you pay. They aren't, I mean, like out in L.A., New York, they aren't messing, I mean, they aren't messing around with coronavirus like we are here in the yeah, Midwest. It, and it's like, that is how you pay or you don't pay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, didn't you say that? You wrote that about the Super Bowl the other day. Yeah, Super Bowl is going cashless this year. Yeah. I, supposedly, the reports are the people on the inside working uh, with Visa and uh, the NFL, I guess the plan was to go cashless by 2025. Yeah. But uh, this coronavirus has accelerated it big time. And I guess all the studies they're saying is people just spend a lot more money cashless too. That's why they were wanting to push it, but... It's a lot easier, I think, and uh, a lot more convenient. People are seeing, so that's why they're going to it. Yeah, I know. I mean, even I mean, with crypto, it. people pay people like crypto on Square. Uh, crypto mm-hmm. is, and even on Venmo now, you can trade cryptos and pay with cryptos. I mean, that was never a thing back when Bitcoin exploded before. And that was really uh, one of our big reasons for for for, for everyone. No, for full disclosure, I mean, our biggest position is in PayPal now, so. Uh, we just continued to add on the add as it moved higher. Uh, I, I really like their CEO. I like Shulman. Uh, but you really, Jordan, I mean, you, you can see even the test of this. I mean, 
when you kids got mom and I all wrapped up into Venmo and I started to do more looking on Venmo, PayPal owns Venmo, you know, PayPal just making huge inroads. And they made that, they were the first, like kind of, I don't know if they were the first, but they really laid the groundwork on uh, joining forces with Bitcoin and accepting Bitcoin and running things through there as well, right? So I Mm -hmm. think we believe. You know, we're going to see that. We think Square is in a similar type of boat. That's why you see the yeah. high valuation, I guess, more fintech. I I think I told the people this the last time, that I think it's funnier than hell. And this just made – I just doubled up my position when it happened uh, in PayPal this, this summer. I I buy this Airstream. Uh, the kids don't want one of those you – know, it's like a 1994. This thing's a big silver bullet on the road. And it, it's a – it's an actual motorhome, an Airstream motorhome from 94. They only made like 14 of them or so. So I see this guy and I find this the other guy that's wanting to sell it down in Oklahoma. And I send one of my guys down with a bunch of cash to pay the guy and buy it. And now it's going to have a semi-place uh, tow it back up here. Uh, it's down in Harrisonville right now. So I said, you know, go down there, take this, this, this bunch of this cash and pay for it, get the title from the guy and bring it back. My guy gets down there. The owner says, hey, man, it's really nice you sent all this cash, and I appreciate that, but is there any way you could Venmo me instead? <laughs> I told Jordan, I said, I don't give a shit what you got to do. I said, I got to flip some positions around, and I got to load up more in PayPal, because I'm like, I've never in my wildest dreams heard someone say, hey, I don't want your cash. Just send me it over, you know, the phone, Venmo. So I just Venmoed it right down to him. But he just said it was so much easier because where he banks, he was a younger guy. I don't know. He was in his 30s, uh, 35, but kind of an outdoorsy guy and everything. And he just said where he banks, he likes to travel around the world and do different things. He doesn't bank anywhere that has a brick-and-mortar location. So he, he's like, the cash is really a pain in my ass because he's like, now i got to go get a money order, cash your check, then i got to deal with that, then i got to take cash, then scan it in. And he's like, just Venmo it to me, and I'll just shoot it right over to one of my banks. Hell, no problem to me. And uh, so that's what we did. And I told Jordan, I'm like, that's nuts. And then mom and Kennedy were going around, uh, you know, off Facebook Marketplace. They were buying different things for our properties and our Airbnbs and our different uh, places. And everyone, nobody wanted their cash. Remember, they had to just all pay by Venmo. Porch pickups mm-hmm. and all that different. Oh, I mean, and yeah, so, we see it with our rental properties too, people wanting to pay yeah, Venmo instead of check. and. Yeah. Uh, dealing with Airbnbs even now, the oh, yeah. check or cash isn't a question when we're not dealing with people through Airbnb platform. It's I am a Venmo you. So I mean it's easy because mm-hmm. it's instant. But I think another thing that proves we're going cashless even too is, I mean I I really honestly couldn't tell you one of my friends that owns a checkbook. I might be the only one. Checks aren't a thing. <laughs> Checks are not a <laughs> thing when anymore. Kid, people don't know how to write it. them. No, I hear you. I remember making you write your own check, do all your own shit, and then you're like, Dad, no one else does this. And I'm like, well, who cares? You're going to learn. Figure it out. Well, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. definitely a, when you were something a you need to do in business. But, I mean, as a consumer, just everyday workers, the checks don't exist. I mean, uh-huh. it's just not well, a yeah, thing Kennedy anymore. Well, when she was down in Dallas, she was, she was going around. A bunch of people thought they were big high rollers. And she's like, shit, we'd go in everywhere. And they'd all, all these people were all wanting these bottle services. Uh, you know, like they're big shots. And then she's like, we ain't sitting down in five minutes. They're all chiming. Hey, you going to Venmo me your part? You going to Venmo me your... Well, yeah, look at Kennedy. I mean, it takes her three months to cash a check. 
Oh, yeah. My dad goes nuts, doesn't he? My dad, it's mm-hmm. just for everyone, my dad down Florida, you know, well, he's old, and he'd send my daughter, you know, birthday for something and send her a check, and she won't cash it for three or four months, five months. I mean, it isn't that she doesn't need the money. She just never, ever goes to the bank. Well, now the bank allows you to scan the checks in these last few months and everything, and so that's all different, but it is interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, no one, you kids, none of you. It's it's crazy. So, you know, that's our play. We just think that's probably – we're going to stay pat, uh, I guess, just, you know, stay focused in that area. Uh, we, we think that platform uh, is, is going to work. And we are seeing some other bigger banks. And like you said the other day, you're like, you know, you were a little like, damn, the Visa – you know, Visa and MasterCard, you know, but their stocks have exploded, too. I mean, they're they're kind of on that space as well. So, it yeah, like 100%. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Well, everything's run through them, through anyone from Goldman to Apple to PayPal. I mean, it's all run through Visa and MasterCard. Yeah, and, yeah I agree. At least making those moves to it. So, yeah, that was our reason for owning Goldman. I mean, I... I kind of loaded up into Goldman uh, a year ago or so when Jordan Kennedy had me get on uh, that Apple Pay with the Apple Card because I, I learned that Goldman was the underwriter in the backer on the Apple Card. Well, then Apple's coming out offering all this free financing on their devices, and, you know, if you don't pay, oh, they just shut you off and shut you down. And Goldman's the backer on that as well. It's like, I'm going to make a bet that Goldman ends up, you know, catching a windfall off of their relationships that they're making and their new partnerships that they're putting in place on those turns. They, you know, used to mainly not, they didn't really delve into that that deep in the years past when we all knew them uh, as, as mostly trading and proprietary type banking. But, um, you know, that that's changed a lot. So, yeah, that was one of my biggest things. I just scaled it back today. Uh, had a hell of a run uh, in it. So I'm going to watch it. I think it can keep going, but, uh, I don't. I feel the market. I don't know. I keep wanting to say the market's toppy, but shit, I've been. I I really probably and Jordan will test this. I both of us and him listening to me was probably the problem. I mean, all of his stocks have been pretty big winners, but he was, you know, he's been trading more of the pelotons and, and the things of that nature and uh, zooms and caught those early. I, I'm I was just way underinvested. I'll just be honest with everyone. I had too much cash on the sideline. Uh, on the break. I mean, I was early to get out, which was nice. I mean, I didn't, we didn't just stay. I just told Jordan, I said, hey, if we can get through this pandemic and we can get to the other side with the vaccine, everyone in good health, and our net wealth as a family is at the same level it was when we went in, shit, I felt it was a win. So, you know, I, I was sitting here trying to get dry powder, which we had accumulated, but I didn't buy the, the big break. We didn't load up, did we? No, I mean, I'm happy with where we're at. I mean, we've oh, yeah, done yeah. real well no, with where we're at, but, I mean, could we have done twice, three times as better? Oh, sure. sure. But, I mean, could we have done twice to three times as worse with the conditions going on? I think just as easily. I mean, I think right where we were at was good, but, I mean – I think I'm positioning my portfolio now more to buy this break. If we have one, yeah, if we have If we have one, uh, yeah. And, you know, and, and we just don't – I mean, Tesla was – and everyone that had come to the conference of the show the last two years, I told everyone Tesla was my favorite position. It was our biggest position. And just this week, off the announcement, 
Well, hell, just yesterday, the day before, we really kind of tapered that position back some. Uh, well, I mean, we rode it out on their first. I mean, we yeah. had it a few days on their stock split, and we uh, tapered and then back, the, and then I jumped back in off the break, and then uh, we've had a good run here and starting to jump back out again. But mm-hmm. so yeah, it's I think the, I think the Tesla story just with any other. Um, stocks moving forward, I think, I mean, like you've always said, people by people. I mean, I read, uh, or the stats today, Tesla's market cap's now bigger than GM, Ford, Chrysler, Honda, Hyundai, Ferrari, BMW, and Volkswagen combined. I mean, I mean, I did a little thing with my friends the other day. I'm like, hey, who's CEO of GM? Nobody knows. Ford, nobody knows. Honda, nobody knows. Ferrari, nobody knows. Nobody cares about any of them. Yeah, some Tesla. Oh, man, it's Elon Musk. That guy's nuts. <laughs> like, they know who you know, the guy I think is. That's, it's kind of what you and I talked about, too, though. It was a short-run stock, meaning there wasn't a lot of stocks in float. And so I just felt, and this was very from the beginning, we knew that they, we felt they were going to own the platform. We really didn't give a shit about the number of cars they put out or anything like that. We knew they were going to own the platform for EB, and everyone was probably going to have to piggyback in some capacity off the roadmaps that uh, Musk was going to create. But more importantly, we thought it was a short-run stock, meaning there wasn't a lot of float out there. There wasn't billions of shares available, so it was short and tight. And the share in the hands that it was in, the stock, many of the owners of that stock have a cult-like following for Elon Musk, and that means they're not going to be sellers of that stock. And they're going to keep it, keep it, and keep it. And to get them to let loose of some stock, if you need it in your portfolio, then you're going to have to bid it up. And that's what we continue to see happen. Now you've got a bunch of fund managers that are going to have to add Tesla to their uh, S&P 500 holdings. Well, shit. You know, the split squirreled me up a little bit because I wish they wouldn't have split because it just put more stock in circulation. And I like it when they keep the float low and it makes it tough to get it out of the hands. So that was our move with Chipotle for you. Chipotle shit, guys. Go look at the amount of float on Chipotle stock. It's nothing. I mean, it's nothing. There's there's hardly any stock in circulation. And a lot of those people, again, are cult-like followers, and it's tough to shake it uh, out of their hands. And so, you know, you get stocks that have billions and billions of shares issued, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's, you don't get those massive, crazy runs. You need a short supply. The, the key ingredient is, or another, you need a really short supply of the stock. So a short float, uh, it gets in the hand to, hands of holders that want to be really tight-fisted. Then all you got to do is catch one story, one bullish. It's like our space holding. So we own space. Um, what was it called? Virgin, what is it called, Jordan? Uh, shit. Virgin Galactic. Yeah, yeah Virgin Galactic. And... We like who did the SPAC. Uh, it's what's his name? Chamat. And he partners with uh, Virgin guy. Um, Richard Branson. Richard Branson. And it's a super short float. And it's a sexy story. So you got two high name individuals that are promoting it. It's their business and their company. They got a hell of a board uh, with big names. And you're sitting here with, oh, I don't even know, you got under, you know, the float's tight, uh, not super tight, but it's small. And you catch any story, 
it, it may be tough to shake the stock out of the hands of some of its holders. So, you know, we're going to sit here, and, and it's crazy. And, I mean, it, they got some big aspirations to fly people to other planets or something. I don't even know what. But I just like the setup. I like the story. And uh, I like, like I said, I like the uh, the tight supply. So, you know, that's something we're just taking a shot on. High flyer, but. Yeah, I think the, the cult-like following is definitely something to pay attention to moving forward. Not just Elon Musk, but I saw it. I really started paying attention to it um, a few weeks back when they announced the the virus cure or the vaccine. Um, Peloton started getting just hammered. Uh, two days in, I think the second day in, they were down like another fifteen twenty percent. They come out and announce a partnership with Beyonce. Uh huh. And. All of a sudden, the stock's up 15% on a day, like a 30% swing all of a sudden. And I started looking at more collaborations people have been doing. Um, Gap did a collaboration with Kanye West back in June, and they're up 100, 160%. 160%. Crocs, Crocs, the Crocs shoes, they did a collaboration with Justin Bieber in October, and they're up 60% from October just here in a few wow. months. I mean, and I'm telling you right now, Gap and Crocs don't have no cult following because people listening to Kanye West ain't shopping at Gap. <laughs> I, mean, I, I'm wait, I don't know. I mean, that's my whole thing. That's what Kennedy was trying to tell me the coach was making a big comeback. Well, look at uh, even Louis Vuitton on uh, a lot of stuff. Louis yeah, Vuitton's been partnering up with a ton of people. Guys are the richest, almost the richest guy in the world. Yeah. Louis Vuitton's making a huge push into the NBA and some of these other things. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's all about once you have the platform and then you get your brand ambassadors, uh, it's game over, it feels like, for a lot of this. Uh, yeah, and then, well, didn't McDonald's do that with a few of those rap guys? They did it them? with uh, the Travis Scott guy, the rap dude, and then they got into that Mexican guy, uh, Bad Bunny, or I don't know, one of those guys' names. And that kind of took off, too. Dudes. Yeah, two rappers. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Well, they were sold out all over the country on those specific they just meals like forever. Meals that those, were they the meals those people actually like? The me- it's what they, they, yeah, it's what they offer on the menu, but the meals they order. Yeah, huh. interesting. Yeah, so I don't know. What, uh, what are we thinking? We, Jordan and I also, we also took some fairly significant positions in, uh, for us anyway, I mean, for us. And DraftKings and Penn, Penn Gaming. Why don't you talk a little about that, uh, Jordan? The Penn, and, and both of them have been shit. Those have been big windfalls. Oh, they've us, been uh, crazy winners for us lately. Um, we yeah, definitely uh, tapered back, I think, from some people might when it was getting real nuts. But um, well, yeah, a lot of people probably don't know what Penn. I'm sure everyone's familiar with DraftKings. I mean, if you watch the NFL any weeks, you see the commercials on there. 100 times on one Sunday. I mean, it's unreal how much they're advertising right now. And they're partnering with anybody and everybody from Caesars to they have the brand ambassadors. They're all over the NFL. I mean, they're in front of people watching the games. I think they are going to be, in the long run, they're going to be the go-to platform for online betting, sports betting for sure. I don't know. They're getting into some more. And you can um, bet on anything. That. Yeah, you they can bet crazy. on any anything and everything. Um, they, and and they have a huge uh, integration with fantasy. So these fantasy nuts, uh, they get on there as well. 
and you can build fantasy lineups and bet on that and get in pools with I mean you can what's kind of cool about their platform is you can bet a dollar to two dollars get in a pool with five hundred thousand people and all of a sudden you're playing for a million dollars all you're putting up's a dollar oh yeah you so, told me you did that a few times so you just set your yeah you just like you're just picking a team for that week you have a budget and you have to pick a team so you have a budget of 500 bucks and let's just say but you're not spending 500 uh, bucks you're only paying a dollar to get in right no you're paying a dollar but it's make the leave 500 bucks and i mean so like you, and it and your players are um as good as they are so like Patrick Mahomes for example is going to cost you $300 so now you only have $200 to pick the rest oh, of the team oh you're trying so. to assemble the best roster with that like a road with that $500 yeah yeah and then if you you win the whole shooting match yeah that's, that's a grand that's match. honestly what's blown that whole platform up in my opinion the fantasy football side of it and they've gotten into fantasy yeah. baseball and I know a lot of people have you know the fantasy baseball won any big huge yeah I mean even uh you can place so like what's where they get you is you could place like in the top 100 and win 10 or 15 bucks Oh, on your one yeah. to two dollars, so I mean they're trying to. Their their goal is they they want people to win money. I mean, yeah, they want you to win just under fifty percent of the time, or even, I mean it's not really their money. I mean they're getting all the advertising fees and all that on there, so they want you to win. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, and then Penn Gaming. That's the reason we really got into that early was because of Barstool Sports, correct? I mean. In that um, yeah, they're they were kind of not on the map, not really. I mean, and then they, they bought. Okay did they buy half of? Did they buy half? They of bought a big chunk. They think they have half, and they have an option to buy the other half in a few years. But their presence, so Penn Gaming's more on the casino type type of games. They're on yeah. that type of side, but uh, they're getting into the sports betting and. Barstool Sports runs runs everyone influence wise when it comes to sports betting. I mean, they are the go to people to go to, and they're throwing. Right. It's just they have a cult like following, and they're on there talking, and they're all just throwing up huge money at games. I mean, that's all it is. Yeah. But and short flip as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 make sure everyone understands. Well, the reason Jordan and I even dove in and looked at the space to begin with was because with this massive debt. And right now, I mean, hell, sports aren't even happening. So DraftKings, I mean, that's what you got to understand. I mean, I think once we get back online and you get fans and people at games, I think they're even going to go more. But our real premise behind all of this was with the massive debt in some of these municipalities and states that are going to face this huge debt burden, we think you're going to see more state gambling legalized because they're going to be able to tax it. And they're probably going to do more legalization of marijuana, which we're already seeing happen. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and they're going to start taxing these things more to create more revenue to help bail them out of debt. So that's all we're saying is, you know, we, we think, I think this gambling thing uh, is probably a little more real, you know, than, than we would have said, you know, a year or two ago. It's so. a lot more convenient though, too. Look how many places you can gamble. Um, oh yeah. Like yeah, physically gamble. Like people go nuts when they yeah. come to Kansas City and gamble, and or down in Oklahoma, um, DraftKings you can essentially gamble from anywhere, right at the city of your home. Right. Just another convenience play for sure. 
And we think it fits hand in hand with that explosion in fantasy sports. And that's like you were saying, that's mm-hmm. the big tie. Isn't just, oh, yeah, for sure. Well, it's bringing in two types yeah. of people. It's bringing yeah, in the sports really, betters and the fantasy nuts. Yeah, I feel like traditional betting may have a, may have a worse name. This, this, these people feel like they got real skill doing this, it seems like, doesn't it, with trying to assemble these fantasy teams yeah. and this and that. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's definitely – I mean, gambling, I think they, I it is more. It is gambling, but there is more skill involved. I guess I would say, but I would say the last month or so, I've seen a lot of people. I mean, football's the betting monster, and I've seen a lot of people starting to bet money on. I mean, they got ten games going in one day between college yeah, and NFL, believe. which I've never. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I haven't seen much of that before. I think it's. I don't know why. Maybe people are bored at home. I don't know. But I'm hearing yeah, a lot more uh, betting on the weekend. I guess maybe it's weekend during the day. Uh, they're really big into college and NFL. So Yeah. So that's real. What, what else do we have? Uh, uh, CrowdStrike. We did. We have. Yeah, that's a new position. Yeah. We, you know, we had that. Uh, we're up, I don't know, maybe we're up double digits in it, maybe eight, ten percent somewhere in there. But you know, I, you know, I, I, I think it's just more of a uh, internet security type, more of a, a spin on the security side. If we think more things are going to go virtual and be more online, which is the obvious, uh, you know, obviously security is going to become a major concern, and it already is. So I think they're one of the supposedly well, yeah, one of the I leaders. Think it's just a priority for a lot of major businesses. I mean, look at what happened to Target when they got their uh, security breached not too long ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, their stock got killed, and, I mean, people were getting money stolen out of the credit cards and all that. I mean, and I don't think there's a whole lot of competitors in the space with the CrowdStrike thing. I think there's only two other people. They, uh, they, they have a pretty big lead. Apollo, Alto, and the uh, sale, yeah. some sale, sale company, it's called. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is either. Not Salesforce. We we missed that boat. Um, oh, we always yeah. kick ourselves. Up. We we used we were in it. Religiously. I was in it early, got out, took profits, and never got back in. And yeah, that that one I'm kicking myself on. So you know, but it is what it is. So you know, I own a bit of Berkshire shares. I uh, bought some on the break. Hal Buffett's sitting on just such a glut of cash. It's a uh, it's very interesting to see how he plays that. But that's kind of one of my more value plays. I did buy Boeing on the break, uh, not on the big break. I was there from about 140s. Uh, I did get out uh, when we got back up here above just above 200. I, I don't know. I probably maybe should have stayed in. I'm not sure. I just, I'm a little edgy right here on this thing. Uh, you know, I don't have any short hedges on. I've just tried to trim back to some of our favorite most favorite long-term positions. I'll try to add to them if we break, I guess, uh, in the market. But I'm just going to kind of have a little bit more trader mentality as we're up here at the all-time highs right now. So, you know, that's how I'm playing that out. Uh, let's probably wrap it up, I guess, with some real estate. And Jordan and I went in partners. I don't know if we've told everyone this. We went in partners and bought what was the, uh, the oldest firehouse uh, in Kansas City remaining firehouse uh it's it was 18 can't remember now 18, it was just uh, 85. 1890s 85 yeah, 18, yeah 18, right there yeah 
So we just, uh, Jordan's been heading that project up, trying to rehab, restore it. We just got done with a bunch of sandblasting on the outside and shit, trying to do a bunch of brick repairs. And those old buildings can get a little tricky. Some of them, this one is like the one, uh, the other historical home we have in Kansas City. They're three bricks deep on all the walls and everything. So, I mean, it starts to get a little extensive, but uh, it's a great location right down from this, uh, well, it wasn't Sprint Center now, it's called something else, but... And block uh, power away from T-Mobile, T-Mobile Center. Yeah, yeah. Hell, when anybody's in town, they ought to come there. We're going we're gonna to transform it into like an art gallery slash Airbnb where people can stay and uh, stay in that. We've transferred several of our places and units. We've been we sold off some of our uh, smaller single-family things, not, not all, but some. And we've been focused more on buying multi-purpose, multi-use type uh, historical buildings mainly. Uh, and, and, and making a move with those. And the Airbnb thing's been uh, really crazily good uh, for us anyway. But a lot of it has to do with location. I kind of was writing that for tomorrow's report uh, just on what we've been – you know, I don't – I've learned my lesson, I believe. I'm not buying bargains. I don't really buy uh, – you know, when people say, oh, that's just a great deal. Well, shit, a lot of times it's a great deal. Uh, because it needs to be a great deal. <laughs> so I uh, I prefer Michelle and I have learned our lesson. Michelle's been in real estate forever, so she's kind of our advisor. Uh, I just think you got to buy location, and location tends to bail us out every time. If it's a if I didn't buy it at maybe the exact right price over time, uh, location really bails us out. So you know we focus mostly. And Jordan will tell you. I mean. I told Jordan, I said, this, bottom line of real estate is this, you know, this is my, my perception through life. People have either made their millions because of real estate or they've taken their millions and put it in real estate. So I see real estate as a highly important tool for, for all families and, and all kids and people to learn about, know about, and uh, whether it's, you know, Michelle and I are looking to buy some more farm ground or some farm ground out here. I bid on a golf course out here during the pandemic and sure as shit. Uh, and I bid on it early and they were just having an explosive year and the guy would never accept my offers. And I think he ended up taking it off the market. He had 36 holes uh, and I was going to buy an 18 hole uh, section that set off to the side. And it was beautiful, but everything, it was all irrigated to the tees, the greens and everything else. I was going to put in some, uh, I was going to put in more, indoor farming type things and grow specialty crops uh, because the irrigation systems and they had several really badass nice lakes uh, on the property and I could have converted it probably pretty easy and I got kind of stubborn I probably should have just bought the damn thing and you know just held my breath and figured out where we ended up in four or five years but but I didn't so yeah, I mean that's those are things you know I think we're looking here's at. a uh, here's an interesting thought on um these home prices and the demand. When you were 25 to 30 years old, were a lot of people buying rental properties or talking about buying rental properties? <laughs> well, that happened into the housing bust, and you told me all your friends are doing that now, going to these classes and courses. I, it's huge. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, where was that? Where were you at in, back in your day? I mean. Well, you know that that, and you know you're probably right. It probably did happen in like 2001 or two, maybe 2002, three. 
because, you know, so we started developing a building. We were building single-family homes, multifamilies, and we were doing some development properties as well. And, uh, you know, it was just a freaking heyday from 2002, four or five, you know, into six and peaked in seven and really real estate peaked in six. But, um, you know, yeah, it was nuts. Uh, well, you know, think back to what Pop told you. My, my wife's dad he bought freaking rental houses when he he was an insulator. We never had any name. Our families didn't have any money. Her, her, her dad balls up and bought rental properties on a credit card. And I'm not shitting you. Turned it into something fairly substantial and huge uh, from where he had come from. I mean, had, had ended up, he rolled that up and bought like, what, 25, 30 rental properties at one point or more and then sold that off and bought the mutual fund store and uh, things of that nature. So, I, I mean... I don't know, Jordan. Rates are super cheap. I don't see housing prices breaking a whole lot. I feel like the demand. Well, that's what I'm saying. Cheap. I mean, we obviously have the millennials moving out and buying the houses, but I still think this investor wave of real estate and all these real estate shows and people on YouTube oh, yeah. making money. I don't. I mean, it's got these people in almost like a fantasy land. I feel like of if you own real estate, you make money. I mean, you automatically well, make money. And, yeah. That's why mom and and I, I think sold that. I mean, we sold off a lot of those individual properties and, and decided we would focus on some areas where you weren't get where we saw some more depreciated value, we felt like, at least. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think something you know, we need to pay attention to moving forward with our properties and even uh, with the Airbnb stock, as I've talked to these people, and I'm like, well, what are you going to do if you don't? Because these are just average, everyday people. Yeah. Uh, buying these properties and they're paying their own mortgage and then they got rental property mortgages. And I'm like, well, what, what happens if you can't rent this place out? Oh, I mean, I'll just throw it on Airbnb. And that's yeah, everyone's answer luck. lately. That's well, I think like. that's everyone's answer. I'm with you. And now we're seeing Airbnb prices drop. That's what I'm saying. It's all about location. For us, right, we discussed this. We only bought properties, multi-use properties, around venues. I mean, we mm-hmm. tried to buy properties that were around venues. I've talked to some other Friends, uh, or friends that have way millions, millions more than I have, uh, and, and some of their biggest, biggest windfalls were were buying the right property locations. Uh, like you know, like we strategically tried to buy some things in anticipation that the Royals may move downtown Kansas City. Um, you know that that would be a big windfall for us uh, on some of those properties. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with the rail, with, with the with the rail going in. Uh, you know, what the hell's that thing called? Uh, in Kansas City, streetcar. The, the, we bought, yeah, with the streetcar, we bought those properties knowing that the streetcar was going to go in and it'd be running right in the front door. Okay. I mean, to me, those are strategic plays where Airbnb uh, or traffic is going to hold up. You know, these your buddies just buying random houses and paying inflated costs for for shitty-ass rehabbed uh, homes, I, I think it's crazy to me because just like you said, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll just Airbnb it. Well, you will until you won't. <laughs> exactly. Until the bank has it. You will until, yeah, you will until you won't. I've learned that lesson so many times. And then, uh, yeah, until that, then the bank just steps back in and says, thanks for playing. So, you know, I, I'm hesitant to even think about that. I don't even want to. Yeah, I, I like our play of being patient. And I think yeah. <laughs> it, there is going to, I don't know when, and maybe I'm lost it, but. I feel like there will be a fallout of these businesses at some point 
in these bigger areas. There's, there's just no way they can survive with no traffic, no one coming in, the restaurants. And uh -oh. I think there is a huge play of, if, if the city allows it, buying the commercial properties when there's a lot available and turn them residential. Yeah, and I told you we already had some banks calling us, telling us, uh, you know, we want to put you guys on a short list because they just told us, uh, Michelle and I, to just be patient. And uh, in the next six months, there's going to be a lot of uh, properties well, available at counter rates uh, because they're already seeing stressed, really stressed lenders that are calling in asking for forgiveness, uh, or borrowers, I should say, asking for forgiveness and forbearance. So there's no question in my mind. And Mom and I have been driving around. A lot. The last I'll just put it months. this way. Um, I mean, th these restaurants and places are hurting. I mean, we're starting, to, I think, around down here, we're seeing them close down. And I'm telling you, the last two weeks since the second lockdown, more and more, there's, there's more this last weekend that came out yesterday saying it. Well, we're going to reopen March 1st. That's our plan is reopen March 1st. Sure. So that's yeah, our maybe. plan. And I've been... Uh, so Children's Mercy, I told the Children's Mercy uh, board, reached out to me about the giveaways, charity right. giveaways with the uh, Airbnb. Uh -huh. I've uh, called some of our restaurant friends and other restaurants. I cannot get anyone to pair with us to do yeah. a, uh, they're, they're wanting to do a, they're calling it a play and stay. Like uh, they yeah. get to stay here and have some food catered in for 10 to 20 people, have a little event. Right. Yeah. Every restaurant I talk to. Nah, hey, we're we're just trying to make a sale. We're in no uh, no position to be doing any charity work, right? So yeah, and it's sad. I mean, they're they're I, hurting. I, yeah, and Michelle and I have driven around. Like I said, I, I've never in my lifetime seen more for lease, uh, for rent, and you know now starting to be some things come up uh, for sale. And just like you were saying, shit, there may be. I've seen more for lease signs than I've seen ever in my life in some areas uh, mm -hmm. around. I mean, you're every other building for lease. Mm -hmm. I think it's starting to shake out pretty good now. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how long some of these uh, owners can hold their breath when they stay underwater here. I, I don't know. I, I, I think it could get real shaky as we turn the corner uh, and, and start to reopen and move past this forbearance forgiveness uh, program. So <clears throat> be a little hesitant. What else? Any What's tips? Uh, uh, any, any, you got any turkey tips for us there, bud? Turkey tips. Yeah, <clears throat> on a deep frying turkey tear. Um, Jordan went on a kick. Yeah, Jordan went on his big kick to. Uh, so he got this badass smoker down at his place, and he's always wanted to have a barbecue restaurant. You, you know, he's all into this barbecue. Him, we always have been, and we're gonna try and have a tent in Memphis and there, or a space at Memphis and May. Hopefully, talk Andy into giving us his or getting us in there, and. Uh, you know, it'll be spot. You know, hopefully it'll be farm tank, farm con, Van Trump report sponsored, and Ag Swag, and you know, hell, we uh, we move. We'll have that, and maybe we'll have one with American Royal, and people can come over. But Jordan's gotten into this uh, deep frying turkey kick now, so we were. Uh, he's been practicing on all these turkeys. <laughs> he's been practicing on all these turkeys, and he'll have me and Michelle. He's like, "Come down, get this turkey. I got too many turkeys. He just keeps deep frying turkeys." And there's homeless guys all around this place in downtown Kansas City. <laughs> He's just out there giving them leg, give them this, give them, give them half a turkey, give them a whole turkey. I'm like, I had a few shit. lined up one night thinking it was soup. And I'm like, come on now, this smells a little better than soup. <laughs> he cooks it right out on the street side, right on the corner at like a, 
think downtown. I mean, it's kind of nuts, but it's got a big ass. Yeah, I'm uh, using one of those uh, Bayou Classics. I got their like turkey uh, turkey kit, and um, yeah, I you just bought a before. basket for the shrimp. I'm gonna try the shrimp, but uh, I could tell my mom's getting jealous, so I think I'm about to buy her one. But um, <laughs> I'm in, I'm injecting the butter right into the uh, directly into the breast. I do about a half of a uh, half a bottle of that uh, squeeze butter, and then oh. and then I'm uh, putting some uh, seasoning on it. I'm, I kind of got a mixture of all the barbecue places seasonings around here. I got Archer Bryant's, uh, Flaps, and Gates. I got them all kind of mixed up. Salt and pepper it up real nice, and then throw it in the deep. Oh, yeah. I kind of let it sit. You got to let it marinate. I figured out you got to let it sit for at least an hour or two. The turkey, you can't just throw your stuff on there and throw it right into the deep fryer yeah. or just, uh, comes right off. There's no real taste, but, um, throw it in there for, uh, every pound at three and a half minutes in your deep fryer. And, uh, one thing right out of the gates, I figured out it takes, uh, when you're doing like the big 45 quart, Deep fryers, it takes about an hour to get that stuff uh, boiling to the temp you need. But And then I even got it broken down to the uh, type of turkey. And we're going to try these fresh turkeys um, Thursday, but Butterball seems to be working the best for me. Meat staying on the uh, bone a lot better, and the quality of the meat I think is a lot better. So what's, uh, what's mom got whipping up? Oh yeah, she's over here. She's been cooking the last three days. So I don't shit. I don't know. We got more freaking bread for stuffing and noodles and you know the whole thing. So Jesus, who knows? Yeah, I, I'm not uh, sure. Well, see, I got an email that rolled across here uh, for my diet. Said, hey, these Cutco potato peelers are baller. You got me. How much are they? I need some more. Oh, oh really? Oh yeah. Yeah, she yeah. loves those. Not every. I'm not kidding. It's been. So she got a set of those knives upstairs and a set downstairs. And we got one uh, from our buddy John Real, and they gave us that big demo set early. And she's like, gosh, dang, it's so nice to have good knives. And I said, well, yeah, but, I mean, when we were younger, shit, who in the hell is going to spend $3,000 on a set of knives or something? I, what's that one set? Like three grand or something, man. John gave Yeah, it's up there. Yeah, three, four grand. Yeah, it's like we The ultimate know, big daddy one. set. Yeah, when we were it young, comes with like thirty-six like, knives. You need to get some really nice knives, and it's like, well, shit. We when we were young, we didn't have no money. We didn't have no money to pay attention. I loaned by a three thousand dollars set of knives. So, uh, you know, mom thinks this is the greatest, greatest thing ever having this awesome knife set. So, you have had some people buy that though through Axelag and stuff like that. Yeah, I just had a guy buy a big yeah. set, uh, big set yesterday, and I was like, hell, oh, might as well just buy one of them cutting boards too. I read it, and he's like, sure, throw it in there. So. Whoever's uh, getting that present's real lucky. <laughs> you know, that reminds me. I would have loved to have had that idea John gave us when I was uh, younger and the salesman. And guys, understand, I did that. We, Jordan and I, well, I'll give you that rundown, and we'll wrap it up and be done. But the X-Wag thing, you guys understand it. No, I mean, I was looking for something to leverage to sell so I could maybe at one day be done writing this damn report every day and take some of the pressure off of writing the report so if we could pivot to something uh, and generate revenue for our family, we would, we, you know, I wouldn't have to do it. So I always said, Jordan, like, if we could, you know, sell seed or 
hey, we could do fertilizer. Well, every time I even think about something like that, I just know it's going to piss someone off or it's going to disrupt the apple cart. So I tried to think of an area where, you know, we wouldn't piss anyone off and just help everyone. And then we come to that conclusion. A buddy of mine was the, uh, I told you guys, CEO of American Identity. They sold American Identity for like $8 billion to Staples. But their main thing, they just, they just did all the swag for like John Deere, ADM, Harley Davidson, you know, all that. And that company ended up being worth that much money, just crazy, uh, because of all the, you know, all the swag and gear, hats, shirts, sweatshirts that all those companies would buy. And either give away or give to their employees or give them things. And we're not, we don't think we'll ever get to anything like that. But we thought, hell, if we could help people in the ag space give cool gifts, and we've we've paid our price and learning curve on what's a cool gift and what isn't and what falls apart and what doesn't uh, and what's a piece of shit when you have it sent to someone and what isn't. I told you, and I hated nothing more than calling places. I couldn't even understand half the people on the service line, like I said, you know, the service desk was in India, and I'm trying to get something embroidered. I'm trying to give a gift to someone, and things getting shipped the wrong place, the wrong logo on it, doesn't have this, and it's just like, what a nightmare. I always felt like, man. So I just thought, Jordan, if we could help people with that and in that space, that would be awesome. And what did we launch last year? Late last yeah, we year. kind of launched at the at FarmCon right there at the beginning of the year. Well, and, uh, no, that was, that was the beginning of 2021. Late last year, though, we launched, or it was probably... Yeah, we were getting some more going. You were doing stuff for Crop Risk Services, and you went to the World Series. CGB. Uh, and College World Series for them. You're doing stuff for CGB and uh, some of the other folks. And we did about... I had Jordan do the books. We did about a couple hundred thousand in sales that that first few months of 19 and then we turned to 20 and that 20 was going to be our kind of soft, real official opening. Uh, our first event we were going to have a booth at was our, my farm kind of event. And we did that in January and uh, February. We, we had a couple of things we didn't end up. They'd gotten moved to cancel. We went down to the Super Bowl, and we had a lot of things lined up and shit. Everything got canceled and shut down. So, you know, we really have. You could say we, we crashed, and you could say we crashed and burned till about August. <laughs> until about Not a whole August, lot happened yeah. on that side. No, until about August. We've uh, we've really it. been picked. We've really picked up though, and I've been grateful for everyone no, reaching I out. No, but I tell people. I mean, if you think about it, all the corporate. Think about how this impacted. You know, all those corporate golf tournaments canceled. All the corporate events canceled. Uh, you know, Jordan has a lot of friends in that industry or whatever. The supply hell Southwest used to buy. You know, just tons of items from one of his buddies. I mean, they all just canceled, just dried up, done. And so a lot of our vendors and suppliers that we use, I mean, they shit shut down, done. We couldn't even get patches for some hats and shit. At yeah, a lot, of, uh, a lot of vendors are struggling right now. I'm having a tough time with Richardson. Yeah. Um, they've transferred yeah, into the mask-making business now. Yeah, and um, they quit doing that for a while. I just bought a ton of hats, and now they're sold out again until January. Um, yeah. On all the basic hats, anyways. Um, Pendleton's having a tough time sourcing stuff for their blankets. Uh, Filson's mm-hmm. starting to run out of some stuff. Cutco, I know, is out of a, a lot of a lot of their hunting knives and all that. Um, a lot of places yeah. that just where they source all their material um, overseas and whatnot is can't get it to manufacture it. So, yeah, so we're, you know, but, hey, we've uh, we've shown some bigger, I don't know, we may do a million, two million, maybe a couple million in total sales. That, and keep in mind now, that is not profit. <laughs> I always yes, tell everyone I was for tomorrow. 
I said, shit, I may end up with a garage full of uh, mistakes. <laughs> we'll have just the, you know, who knows? Shit, we had the wrong logo on the wrong shirt one time. We had this on that. We had, and Jordan will probably be like, hey, got a problem. And I'm like, oh, great. So, you know, we eat all that. And I always laugh because I, I want to do everyone right. And I say, if, you ever, if you're ever yeah. in Kansas City, you know, maybe you got a cattle feedlot or you got something, you see somebody, a homeless person walking around in one of your shirts or sweatshirts. <laughs> with your logo, just know it was probably a mistake or we didn't like the quality and I had to give it away to somebody. So, um, you know, anyway, it's just, it's been fun, been a learning experience. I know Jordan's learned a lot. We're, we're appreciative of everyone's help on that as well. And I know I've had some people, you know, get on, oh, why do you got to advertise? And, and I, you know, I have never taken advertisers and advertisers dollars. And this is just a family thing. We're trying to start this family business and, and see if we can't help everybody with it. So, you know, we are super grateful for everyone's uh, support and, and and help. If, if if we can be of any service in that area, you know, we'd sure love to. So it's just really Michelle. Uh, it's really Jordan heading it up with Michelle. And Kennedy gets involved to some degree. And uh, Todd, uh, Todd's my buddy that was a former golf pro that works with us now. And he's got a pretty good experience in the space. But, uh, you know, he helps a lot with that uh, as well. So. Like I said, we got our own in-house graphics team and uh, people that we use uh, for graphics that are on our staff out of California and uh, on the East Coast, too. So hopefully we can help on that. I don't – we probably rambled long enough, Jordan, for people. I think so. We might have hurt their heads. Yeah, that's true. We probably went too long. But anyway, you know, we thought we'd do something for Thanksgiving, having a report. Uh, hope everybody has a safe, you know, Thanksgiving and uh, has fun with the family and I am positive and certain we will soon be past all of this, and uh, hopefully things get back to some normalcy, and I can see everyone soon, and hopefully, uh, you know, like I said, see everyone smiling faces. So Michelle and I appreciate it. I know the kids appreciate it, and uh, I got any, I don't have anything else, Jordan. That's all I got. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good Thanksgiving. See ya. Thank you. See ya.